You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. All right, this week's edition of Banner Monday is coming right up. Before we get to that, a quick word from this week's sponsor, SeatGeek. As you know, getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it is hard to know who to trust. And that's why SeatGeek is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so that you can easily find the seats you want for a price you're willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Indiana still has several home games left, several good ones, including games against Purdue, against Wisconsin, Juwan Morgan Senior Day against Rutgers. SeatGeek has great prices for those games, as well as Indiana's remaining uh, road games. If you're going to be in the Minneapolis area and you want to see Indiana take on Minnesota on Saturday, you can get tickets there at SeatGeek as well. And what you'll find when you go to SeatGeek and look for tickets is that it's designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites and they grade every ticket based on value. So it helps you to immediately identify the best seats to fit your budget. And every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. I use it. It's the easiest way that I've found to shop for tickets, not just sports tickets, but concert tickets and other live event tickets too. And that's why I feel comfortable recommending them to you. Best of all, you get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase because you're an Assembly Call listener. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY for $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event. We have the tickets. And now, here's this week's edition of Banner Monday. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Banner Monday, where we kick off each week by doing what IU fans love more than anything else, talking hoops. This is the 15th edition of Banner Monday, and it is our 483rd episode overall of the Assembly Call. Recorded on the afternoon of Monday, February 11th, 2019, I am your host, Jared Morris, and let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment, and... Once again, we are forced to look to the future for today's banner moment because the present remains a frustrating enigma wrapped in a maddening mystery topped with loss after disappointing loss. And once again, a couple of future Hoosiers gave us something positive to cling to during these difficult times. On Sunday afternoon, Jeff Rabjohns of Peaks tweeted a picture of a smiling Armand Franklin and Trace Jackson Davis on the Jumbotron at Simon Scott Assembly Hall during Indiana's game against Ohio State. In response to this tweet, which tagged both players, a Twitter user who is presumably an IU fan replied, quote, hopefully they're not rethinking after watching that, unquote. Trace replied first, saying, quote, don't worry, we're not. Am I right? And tagging Armand. And Armand then replied, quote, hasn't crossed my mind at all. So just in case you were wondering, the two anchors of Indiana's 2019 recruiting class are taking the Hoosiers post-Christmas nosedive in stride. It's nice to see their commitment to the program and coach, and hopefully it helps convince other currently uncommitted players in the class of 2019 to join them in Bloomington. 
All righty. Uh, it is just going to be me for this segment. I'm assuming we're doing it an hour earlier than we normally do. My daughter is home today. She had a fever. Uh, so our Banner Monday schedule is on her uh, nap schedule. So that's why we're doing it uh, an hour early. Uh, for those of you who are watching live, and bear with me for just a moment here uh, while I get that open so I can check the chat mob. Mike DeCourcy uh, will be here in about 25 minutes, so we'll do our Big Ten roundup. Uh, and not going to worry about a Minnesota preview right now. That game isn't until Saturday, so we'll probably talk about that Thursday night on Assembly Call Radio. But without further ado, let's dive into some questions, because I did get a lot of good questions from inside of our community. Um, and if you haven't checked out our private IU basketball discussion community, you can go to assemblycall.com slash community. Uh, and you can check it out there. Uh, really, really have enjoyed the conversation uh, in there with folks. Obviously, it's been a little bit difficult over the last five, six weeks, but it's been nice to have you know reasonable, informed, mostly patient <laughs> people to uh, to discuss the Hoosiers issues with. So if you're interested in joining that community, check it out at assemblycall.com slash community. I see Joel in the chat mob says he has a fever. Yeah, I think we all do. I think... Uh, you know, my daughter, it's like a it's like a sympathy fever with the team. They're uh, they're struggling and she's feeling it. So hopefully she takes a nice long nap, which would be awesome. So if for any reason I have to cut this out early uh, and it just cuts off, you'll know that she uh, woke up and I ran to get her. Um, okay, let's knock out some of these questions here. Uh, the first one, this is from Bill. He wonders, do we have any shooters in our incoming class? Uh, and he means consistent good shooters. So obviously the only two guys that are committed right now and they are signed are Trace Jackson Davis and Armand Franklin. Trace is not known as a shooter. He's an inside guy who's really going to have to improve his shooting. Armand is a guy, you know, it was interesting because it was kind of down between he and Brandon Newman, uh, the kid from Valparaiso who ended up committing to Purdue, I believe. And he's really known as more of the knockdown shooter. Armand was known more as kind of the all-around guard. And I still think they're generally known that way, but one of the biggest developments of Armand's senior season is that he's shooting the three-pointer better. And by all reports that I've read, his shot has really improved. You know, he's a guy that has a really good work ethic, works hard, he has good shooting mechanics, has always been known to have a good mid-range game, but it really seems like his three-point shooting is coming around. I know a couple of weeks ago he went five of six from downtown. So, you know, he, you know, he's maybe not a, you know, he, well, not maybe, he's not a James Blackman type, he's not an Exisloff type, but he does seem like he could maybe be a Robert Johnson type in terms of shooting. Um, so that'll be interesting. And then it's just going to depend. You know, all of a sudden, Indiana's name popped up for this guy. I think Lester Quinones uh, recently that Indiana was in his top seven and we got in there late. He apparently is a really good shooter. Um, you know, Keon Brooks is a guy that is, you know, more of an all-around scorer. Um, kind of like Romeo, where he can shoot, but really known as more of an all-around scorer, so not a guy that you would know as a knockdown uh, shooter. Hopefully, he's a guy who decides to commit to Indiana at some point. And then in future classes, you know, you've got guys like Anthony Leal from Bloomington, again, known as a shooter. Indiana hasn't offered a scholarship yet. It'll be interesting to see if they do. Um, so to answer your question, Bill, you know, there's one guy coming in, Armand Franklin, that I think is going to be a pretty good shooter. Maybe not right away as a freshman, but I think projects as a pretty solid shooter. And otherwise, you know, I can't imagine that Archie has watched these last two seasons and doesn't understand the importance of getting more shooting in. So I would assume that that will become a priority on the recruiting trail. And I'll definitely be disappointed uh, if it's not, because in today's day and age, you got to shoot. And we're in Indiana where we have shooters. So I would think that we would be able to find a way to balance getting the athletes that we need to play Archie's system while also being able to shoot. And if we can't, 
then that system may not work. And so that's going to be something to watch, obviously, over the next few years. James wonders, why didn't Zach McRoberts play against Ohio State? Uh, quite simple, he wasn't even dressed. He's still hurt. So he's had a back issue. He's had a foot issue. Unfortunately for Zach, uh, he just hasn't really been healthy all season long. So hopefully he can get healthy and help this team uh, coming off the bench later on this year. But they basically shut him down until he is more ready to contribute. Uh, let's see. Next question from JD. Being consistent is difficult, but essentially we change coaching regimes because of a lack of consistency in the program. I am not currently, but should I be getting worried about the lack of consistency we are seeing in the first two years of Archie? Game-to-game, half-to-half, and four-minute segment-to-four-minute segment swings in execution and focus, and sometimes what appears to be effort, have frankly been all over the place since January 1st. Um, everything that JD said there is true. Should I be getting worried? You know, I, certainly for this year's team, yes, but that's the obvious part of the answer. I think JD is is asking more in a macro sense, is this just an issue that Archie has had? You know, and based on his track record at Dayton, no. His teams were much more consistent, but he hasn't yet been able to really do that at Indiana. Now, last year, Indiana was more consistent. It, it took a little while. But I thought they improved as the season went along, you know, before really petering out there at the very end of the season. And obviously this year it has been all over the map. So what I would say is, and, and just kind of giving you how I feel, like my gut reaction, yeah, I'm a little bit concerned. You know, I thought things would be a little better. Things would be a little smoother by this point. But, you know, look, I mean, you have to judge a coach at a certain level by results, and the results haven't been good. And the eye test hasn't really been very good, especially over the last five or six weeks. So I think you can still do that while being patient and while holding out some hope, legitimate hope, that as he gets his own recruits in here, builds the culture his way, gets upperclassmen who have been in his system for three or four years, that you'll get more of that consistency. Because I think that's really how you get the consistency. And so it's it's impossible to render any type of final or substantial judgment on a coach you know, even in year two. But I would have liked to see, you know, especially something over this 10-game stretch where it looked like things were improving and it looked like we were able to kind of pull ourselves out of some of the issues. And we have gotten better. The last two performances have been better, certainly, than the seven games that we saw before the Michigan State game. But I still think in the big picture, it's too early to render that judgment if, you know, when Al Durham is a senior and even next year, if we don't see more of that, then I think we should be really concerned. But right now, you know, allow that concern to be there because it's natural just based on the results that we've seen. But I would really urge everybody to, you know, have some patience there. And let's see when he gets his guys in who understand his system and who understand the culture that he's building if that consistency is there. Uh, Cliff. So this may seem like a reach, but at this point, uh, it is getting hard to explain. Is it possible that our intense off-court training program via Cliff Marshall is having such an impact on the players' bodies that as their bodies change, their shot does not adapt as quickly? Is Marshall almost doing too good a job and not letting the players adjust to their new strength? This is interesting. I do not know enough about the physiology of athletes and basketball players to give this the kind of answer that it probably deserves. What I would say is we've heard anecdotal stories, for instance, like with Yogi Ferrell, that he 
you know, worked out so much, put on so much muscle that it really hurt his shot as a as a freshman. And as he kind of grew into that and got more comfortable with his body, his shot came around. So, you know, could that be an issue? You know, I don't know. I mean, look at a guy like Al Durham, who, you know, came in last year, was a better shooter than most people expected, has improved his shot this year. You know, Rob Finnessy, before he got hurt, uh, was shooting the ball pretty well, and he's a freshman. Romeo's shooting has improved vastly uh, over the last five or six games after struggling. Could that explain it? Maybe. Um, you know, and Cliff even said this seems like a reach. So, you know, I'm just kind of spitballing there. Maybe it's probably on a personal case-by-case, you know, individualized basis um, for guys. But that's, you know, I think at the end of the day, we just need better shooters and more shooters. And, you know, like I don't think... Evan Fitzner is struggling to shoot the ball because he got here and Cliff Marshall put him through workouts. I think it's just because he really lost some of his confidence. And I think our offensive chemistry and offensive rhythm has been so off that a lot of the guys aren't getting shots that are in rhythm, which is going to help lead to misses, especially if you're not an elite shooter and none of IU's guys shooters are elite. So that's kind of what I would say to that. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know enough about it to give you the full answer, but you know, it, it could on an individual basis, I suppose, affect some guys. Uh, Mike, cream teams were strong on offense, but weak on D. Miller teams seem to be the exact opposite. Both systems show a lot of inconsistency. Will Miller find a way to balance it out? So I think that's easy to say um, that cream teams were strong. You know, that Archie teams seem to be the exact opposite. Let me look here. Let me just try to put some numbers behind this. So when Archie was at Dayton, in 2017, uh, Dayton's offense was 53rd in the country. Their defense was 43rd in the country. In 2016, the offense was 146. The defense was 15th. So certainly that proved true there. Uh, in 2015, yeah, the offense was 75th in the country. The defense was 30th. In 2014, uh, which was Archie's third year at Dayton, the offense was 37th and the defense was 72nd. And obviously, uh, our defense has been... Uh, better than our offense since Archie has been here at Indiana. So, you know, will Archie find a way to balance that? Again, you know, both systems show a lot of inconsistency. I think you're going to be more consistent with an elite defense. The problem is, though, you know, Archie, for the way that he wants to run this program, the defense has to be elite. Like, we're talking Virginia, Cincinnati, Michigan State level elite to where you're in the top five to 10 every single year in adjusted defensive efficiency. Right now, Indiana hasn't been close to that. Again, it's a little bit early. He hasn't been able to recruit to a system, install his system, but that's what it's going to take. And if you can get that side of the basketball to that point, you're going to have consistency. And then, you know, yeah, the defense will probably lead the offense and there may be some fluctuations in offense, but that that is going to help you get some consistency. But, I, you know, I really think that for Archie to succeed at Indiana, while I'm fine with being, you know, kind of defense focused and let's build a culture of defense, that's all great because that is a way to win consistently. But you're going to have to be able to score the basketball and you're going to have to be able to make three pointers. And so I think some of those things, which maybe haven't necessarily been focuses of Archie. Um, I think, you know, he's had teams that have shot the three well. We've talked about that before. I don't think it's something that he just doesn't value, but he hasn't had the personnel and he hasn't been able to put the pieces in place and have the strategy yet at Indiana. 
to to maximize the offensive pieces. And so I think he's going to have to get better at that. And maybe that's adjusting to a different caliber of talent, a different caliber of recruit at Indiana than what he had at Dayton. Um, but I do think defense first will lend itself to a little bit more consistency. The problem is the ceiling is going to be capped on it if the offense doesn't improve. And we all know what the goals are at Indiana. And so I think for Archie to get there, he's obviously going to have to find ways for uh, for the offense to become elite. Maybe not every season, but certainly in enough seasons to give yourself a chance uh, to win Big Ten titles and national titles. Michael says, why hasn't Keon Brooks Jr. announced yet? Is it because he was planning on IU and due to results on the court? He's now questioning that choice. Speculation is encouraged here. Uh, my speculation would be that Keon has a lot of good choices. Michigan State, North Carolina, Kentucky, uh, Indiana. And it just seems like he isn't quite sure. I, you know, can I rule out that Indiana struggles aren't part of it? No. But I think we've seen enough examples of players choosing schools where that school's current results aren't good to maybe feel safe not overrating that importance. I mean, you know, Anthony Edwards just committed to Kentucky or for, to Georgia for Tom Crean. Obviously, a big get for Tom Crean. Georgia's 1-9 this year, right? So if that was that big of an issue, he would have gone to Kentucky or wherever else he could have gone. You know, we we saw, you know, James Weissman is going to Memphis. Now, obviously, Penny Hardaway had a lot of relationships with those players. But again, they're not having great on-court success, but they're getting recruits. And so you'll see that, especially the first two, three, four years of a coach's tenure when the excitement is high and there's kind of a blank slate and a coach can really paint the vision for the program before it's all been colored in by his results. You'll see a coach be able to pull recruits where you're like, wow, they're not even winning, but they're getting recruits at that level. That's interesting. So... You know, I don't, all I know is fourth, fifth, sixth hand information on this recruitment. So I can't give you any real insight. But I would caution against thinking that just because Indiana's had a rough five weeks, that that's going to be the determining factor. What's going to be more important is the relationship that he has with Archie and the staff, the way that they're framing the struggles, the way that Keon sees himself being able to come in and help you know prevent such struggles in the future, the relationship that he has with Armand and Trace. All of those things, I think, are going to matter a whole lot more than a team he will never be on going through a rough patch. Because he's not going to play for this year's team. He's going to play for next year's team. That's what I mean by that. Uh, Bill says, will Justin Smith be in the starting lineup Sunday against Minnesota? Could we afford to have Duran start alongside Juwan with their propensity to get into foul trouble and his obvious stamina issues? Considering Justin's struggles of late, is it that Race is still not in game shape to take some of his minutes or just not has yet earned Archie's trust? Probably both. I mean, you know, Race has to get back into game shape and who knows how he's been practicing. But as soon as he's in shape and making enough plays in practice, you would presume that he would get out there because, you know, Archie's looking for any answer he can he can find. Obviously, he, you know, went to Jake Forrester, went to Cliff Moore there for a few games. They haven't seen as much time lately. Uh, so there are opportunities for race, especially with Juwan and Duran getting into foul trouble and Justin struggling. As for the starting lineup, and we have another question from Kevin, who said the starting five obviously needs a shakeup. Who do you start? Which guys currently starting come off the bench. So I'm of the mind now, given how poorly we have started first and second halves throughout this losing streak, I am of the mind now that we need to start games and halves with our best lineup out there so as to help prevent these poor starts. And maybe it won't work. Maybe we're destined to have poor starts all season long, 
But I would like to see us at least shake something up to try to get off to better starts and not bury ourselves. Because for a team that struggles with confidence, that seems like the worst possible thing to always be down 9-2, to 11-2, 17-0, you know, all these ridiculous starts that we've had. So, you know, to me, and, and given Justin's struggles since the Michigan State game, I would absolutely be fine with putting Duran and Juwan out there. I thought the offense functioned the best when those two were on the court together. It's maybe not perfect because Juwan can't do as much posting up with Duran out there, but he can space the floor a little bit. You know, they can play a two-man game inside. You know, teams really have to pick their poison when you have both of them out there as threats to be able to post up and play inside. And Duran is a good passer from the elbow and even from outside the three-point line. So it's not like he has to be down on the block. Yes, the issue there is now you're going to have fewer minutes the rest of the game to play Duran because you're probably not going to get him for more than 20 to 22 minutes a game. But, you know, maybe you just have to sit him in the middle, but you play him at the start and the end of halves. I would be fine seeing that because I think Indiana has functioned the best with those guys out there. So you've got Duran, you've got Juwan. And then I think from a guard standpoint, I would want to go with Rob, Al, and Romeo. Uh, because I think Devontae gives you some nice scoring punch off the bench. Plus, he's very inconsistent. So you don't know what you're going to get from game to game. So that way you don't have his variance at the beginning of halves. I think that's fine. And then with Justin, look, I think ideally at some point you'd love to be able to trust him as a starter. But maybe right now he needs to come off the bench to be able to, you know, get in the flow of the game or to, you know, be sent a message. Whatever the reason, he right now just isn't a guy to me that's consistent enough to trust in that starting lineup. So that's what I would go with. If for no other reason, then let's shake things up. Maybe if we can get off to better starts, that'll help us the rest of the game. So let's just go with what we think is the best five. And frankly, I thought that five, you know, and maybe you switch out some of the guards, probably you end with Devontae in that Ohio State game instead of uh, instead of Rob Finnessy, who was struggling a little bit, or Al, who was struggling a little bit. But I thought we need to get Duran uh, on the floor more at the end of the Ohio State game, too. And I talked about that on the postgame show. You know, get your best players out there. And if Duran and Juwan get in foul trouble, maybe play them a minute or two more than you would because the last two games... We have fouled those guys out ourselves by playing them fewer minutes than they could have because they ended the game with four fouls. So you've heard me talk about that ad nauseum. I'm sorry. It's just, it grinds my gears as the, uh, as the statement goes. I won't belabor the point anymore here, though. Uh, Jack says, does anyone else besides me think that Romeo needs more experience and development before trying to enter the NBA? Uh, does he need more experience and development before trying to enter the NBA? No, because he's going to be a lottery pick. He could be a top 10 pick. It's still possible he could be a top five pick, especially given the fact that he is 11 for 26, I believe, over his last four games from three. And Sam Bassini of The Athletic has cited Romeo shooting as the biggest swing skill in the draft, you know, that could really, you know, send him back up the charts if he has, in fact, fallen. So does he need it before trying to enter the NBA draft? No, because he's going to be picked high. Could he use it to make a bigger impact once he's there? That's a fair question, and the answer is maybe. You know, Could he improve his ball handling? Could he improve the consistency of his shooting? Could he improve his ability and willingness to be aggressive driving against more physical opponents? Could he improve his defensive consistency? Could he improve his transition defense? Of course. All of those things could improve a lot. He's a freshman that is being put in situations that he's never been in as a basketball player before, and that's why you're seeing some growing pains. He's just so talented as a scorer that all the while while he's dealing with these struggles he can play 37 38 minutes 
and give you 16 to 18 points a game, which is which is remarkable. And you know his ability to hit clutch shots, he's really made some big shots this year. So he's done so many things. So look, he's going to go pro. We all just need to prepare ourselves for that. And he should go pro because he's going to be a high draft pick. So let's not conflate whether he should do it with whether he could theoretically benefit from another year. Because I think a lot of players could, but it's in his best interest to go, and he will. And I will certainly be cheering hard for him at the NBA level, and I hope he has a wonderful NBA career. And I hope there's still a lot more left for him this year. We've got seven regular season games, at least one in the Big Ten tournament, hopefully more there. You know, He still has a chance to leave a positive stamp on the program in his one season here in terms of team success, even though it feels pretty bleak right now. There's still a lot of season to play. So hopefully these guys can turn things around and make something of it. Uh, let's see. Bill says, I would like to see Evan Fitzner get more time. He is supposed to be a shooter. Let him have more playing time and let him get some confidence. Maybe he could hit a few uh, things would open up. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to agree a little bit with Bill here. I think when Evan hit that three-pointer against Michigan State, it seemed to get his confidence going. And that will happen with shooters. I was a shooter myself. And sometimes you're struggling and you see one go down and it's like, oh yeah, that's how I do it. And your muscle memory, it gets relocked in again. He was hunting for shots in that Michigan State game. The rest of the game, he couldn't get one off. Kudos to him for not forcing one. But then I thought in the Iowa game, you know, he stepped up and took one. He missed it, but he shot it with confidence. And then the Ohio State game, he stepped up and shot that one with confidence. Like, he looks like the shooter that we saw in the Marquette and Duke games again. His shot is just more fluid and more confident. I think he's going to go on a little string here where he maybe makes the next 5 out of 10 that he takes. And feel free to, you know, remember this and call me out on it if he doesn't. But you can just kind of see that some guys with sometimes with good shooters with a track record. Because he shot 40% plus for three straight years. The guy is a good shooter. It was going to come back around. Now, you give up some with him because he's pretty one-dimensional offensively. You know, he's not great in transition defense. He's a capable defender who makes smart reads but doesn't often have the foot speeds to stay with guys. So there are some limitations there. But I would be totally fine with him getting 8 to 10 minutes a game and popping off 2 to 3 three-pointers and maybe even running a play or two to get him for him because we need shooting, and I think he's ready uh, to start shooting pretty well and start making some shots. So, yeah, I'd be I'd be okay with that, Bill. I wasn't for a while because he just really wasn't providing anything, uh, but I think he's ready to start providing more um, than what he's been doing. Um, all right, let's see. What did Aaron say? Oh, yeah, the Minnesota game is Saturday. Did I say Sunday? Yes. So yeah, Bill's question said, will he be in the starting lineup Sunday against Minnesota? That game is Saturday. Sorry about that. It is Saturday. So Indiana has a whole week off. So, you know, and, you know, I guess as you look to things that we can, uh, you know, reasons for some optimism, you know, maybe this week off will do the team good and they can really get some good practice. They can get some skill work in, you know, maybe they can install some new things, but you know, each game we start talking about how it's a must win. I mean, it's getting to the point now where they all are. And this is a winnable game. You know, Indiana has played pretty well in the barn in recent years. Minnesota is decent, but they aren't world beaters. And so if Indiana goes up there and plays well, and, you know, sometimes it feels like we play better on the road than we do at home right now, which is kind of ridiculous, but it is what it is. Um, you know, maybe we can go up there and get a win and get things turned around. You know, sometimes that's what it takes. And we thought the Michigan State game was that, but it wasn't. You know, we just need to not look ahead, take it one game at a time, get one more win, and just see how many we can stack together. 
All right. Uh, coming up on the assembly call, it is going to be time for our Big Ten Roundup with Mike DeCourcy. Uh, he'll be here soon, and so we'll talk with him about Indiana's two losses, take a look around the Big Ten as we usually do. All of that coming up here on the assembly call. Stick with us. Welcome back to Banner Monday. Each week here in our second segment, we zoom out to get an objective opinion on our Hoosiers and to look at how things are going across the Big Ten Conference. And there was no one better to do that than Mike DeCourcy, who covers Big Ten hoops for BTN. In addition to his columns for the Sporting News, Mike, welcome back to Banner Monday. It is always a pleasure to have these chats with you. It's a delight to be here. So we always start these segments off talking about Indiana. And in our last conversation, we... You know, I kind of dreamed about what it would be like to come on here for the second week in a row and have positive things to talk about. And unfortunately, that didn't happen as the Hoosiers dropped two more home games, a little bit more competitive than the previous two home games, but losses nonetheless to Iowa, to Ohio State. What were your t- takeaways watching Indiana this week? Well, I think that the first thing, it begins with the idea that at both ends, the Hoosiers and whoever's coming in, I, I am totally convinced that Chris Holtman comes in there, Fran McCaffrey comes in there and says to his guys, okay, here's the deal. You go out from the jump and be ready to play. Because if you put these guys down, you suck the home court advantage out completely and they may never get it back. And and I don't think that Indiana, I'm not saying that Arch isn't saying the right things, but I don't think the players go into Assembly Hall believing, quote, this is our house. I don't think they play as if it's an advantage to be in that building. And that's such an essential ingredient of college basketball success. Every coach of every contending team says, when your home game split on the road, you're right there. If you can approximate that, you know, if you, if you do a little better than that, then you're probably a conference champion. If you do a little worse than that, then you're a solid first division team that's going to the NCAA tournament. And if you struggle to do that, especially the home part, I mean, we see teams that are that, that get into the NCAA tournament that maybe win almost all of their home games and then maybe steal one on the road and they get in the show. Uh, we're not seeing that kind of confidence and that kind of performance from the Hoosiers at home. They haven't won a home game in conference play since the start of the new year. That's it's, you know, and I realize they've lost pretty much everywhere they've been. But if you're going to have, you know, performances, if you look at their best performances, probably their two best performances since that's, you know, that dividing line, Christmas, whatever you want to, I, I look at it from the restart of conference play. Their two best performances at Maryland, at Michigan State, two of the three, four, five best teams in the league. And yet that's where they played great. Assembly Hall at home against Ohio State, which is tough physically, mentally, but not really overwhelmingly talented, can't win. Home against Iowa, which is not yet fully formed as a tough, mentally tough team. And you're not ready for that one either. And that's something. And and Nebraska, which even in its previous state prior to the Isaac Copeland injury, was not playing its best basketball of this season and you get put down early and never recover in that, never even become fully competitive. 
So I think that that's the biggest, most problematic ingredient in where they are right now. There are lots of technical things which we've discussed, uh, you know, on many occasions. And some of those come and go a little bit. I mean, Justin Smith, uh, multiple problems on Sunday. Uh, Devontae Green, multiple problems, but made two of the biggest shots in the game. So they come and go, but that collective not being comfortable and confident at home is a continuing thread that has gone on throughout the uh, the losing the losing period. It's not a streak anymore, but the one and nine period. Yeah, we did beat Illinois on January third, and it's a good thing we played them when we did because <laughs> if we played them now at home, I'm not sure how that game would go. But what? So to what do you attribute that? I mean, because you are absolutely right. And IU fans are very frustrated about this because we take a lot of pride in our home court advantage. And to see the team play with just so little sense of urgency at home, I feel like the crowds have wanted to get into these games. You know, I, I don't put this on the crowd that the air just gets let out of the building so early. And you're right. You know, we can't make enough big shots or sustain enough offense to get a run to get the crowd in it. To what do you attribute that? Is this the, the the mental toughness, the maturity of the guys? Is this a coaching thing, like, or is it just like a strange amalgamation of all of these factors coming together? Well, I think well, first of all, they want to do well, uh, and they feel pressure to do well. And when they, I think that when they don't perform well, I think they feel like they're letting the people in the building down. I think that that's part of it. I, I do go back to when I was at the Northwestern game in early December in the first segment of conference play. And, and, and I was surprised at the, 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 the size of the crowd. I thought it would be better uh, coming off of the success uh, of the Marquette game and how, and how much fun that was. I thought the crowd would be bigger for that. So I, I do wonder about that. Uh, but I, I think most of it is internal and wanting to please the crowd and wanting to be good and then struggling to make that happen early. And then it feeds up upon itself. And they never they I don't think they go into that arena feeling like they own it. And 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 you can see that reflected from the very beginning. You can see it reflected in some of the things they do. I mean, you look at there were at least at least I didn't chart it. There were at least four instances on Sat Sunday when through either happenstance or execution, sometimes you happen to be in the place where the ball is. One of your teammates is guarding the ball. You have they take it toward you. You happen to be there. And so you naturally um, you try to pay attention to your guy, but then you think, okay, let's see if I can make a play on the ball. Or you make a definitive. I'm going to double this action because it's doable. And I saw at least four occasions when the Hoosiers had that happen, where they doubled the ball and got the ball loose, not loose, loose, like boom, knocked on the ground, six guys go flying, but just a deflection. It's available to maybe make the play and go after it and see if you can't create something. And on four occasions, I saw that happen, and I saw the player who created that momentary possibility then immediately abandon it and go back to his guy. They are not playing with the confident aggression that turns that little deflection into a steal and then a bucket. That team gets no easy buckets because they're always worried about 
what's behind them. They're not worried about what's in front of them. I saw that four times yesterday. It, there were several players that were involved in it. It wasn't one player. It was a lot of different guys. I was amazed at how frequently that particular circumstance came up. I've seen the exact same thing. So what would you do if you were coaching? Because I, I just got done in our first segment talking about how the starts of games, the starts of halves are killing us. Ohio State outscored Indiana 22-6 to six over the first four minutes of each, of each half. I mean, there's your game right there. So what would you do with the starting lineup then to shift things? Because I think at this point you have to change something. I gave my thoughts. What, what do you think Indiana Archie should do with it? Well, they already did change some, and, and I thought it was the right change to start playing out um, because it gives you a better offensive option, and obviously Zach isn't available anyway now. Um, I would start by, I would go, I don't, I didn't, I wasn't there for the beginning of yesterday's game. So I don't know if they did this. Um, but I would go big from the start. They did. not They didn't. Yeah. So I, I would, I would go big from the start. And I know that that exposes you potential foul trouble, all that kind of stuff. I, it doesn't matter. I'd go big from the start. And I will say that I thought that, you know, for another, you know, I guess that's third game in a row. Maybe the Ron's playing well. I mean, he's contributing. He's giving them a presence. He's giving them muscle. Uh, I, I, he's, he's giving them the opportunity to be competitive with, you know, I, I'm not sure how many teams, I don't have the schedule up in front of me, but, you know, the games they've just been through. you got Caleb, you've got Nick Ward, uh, you know, you've got uh, Luca Garza. I mean, they, they're it, Rutgers when they played them. I mean, there aren't a lot of teams in the Big Ten that you can say we don't need to be big. I mean, even Georgie Bashanisvili at this point, I'm not sure I want Jawan trying to root him out of the post. Uh, he's 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 not tall, but he's been massive lately, and he's been doing it against big guys. He did it against Michigan State, Nick Ward, et cetera. He did it against Rutgers, three big guys. So I think that that's somewhere where I I would go from the very beginning, play him and Jawan together. Um, it, you still have the option when you feel like it's advantageous to you to put Juwan in the post and make the other teams guard him out on the perimeter uh, and give and try, you know, the, the problem with Juwan playing in the post right now is that he's got that dribble move. That's really good. And he can really crab dribble into, into good positions, but everybody crowds him because they're not really afraid of the three point attack. So it doesn't help. So you might as well have him in places where he can make plays. He's not able to get as much done down low because of that. I mean, if I'm playing Indiana right now, uh, the only shooter I'm worried about from the jump is Al. And it takes more to, for Al to get a shot than almost anybody on the team. And I don't mean he can't get into his shot, but because he's smaller, he's not that hard to, to, to drive out of it. And so most of Al's best shots come inside out. Well, if I'm not dropping off him uh, and, I'm, and I'm crowding the, the post, elsewhere, it's hard to even get it into Juwan in the first place for him to kick it back out. I only need to stick with one guy. I stick with Al. I crowd I crowd and drop off everywhere else. And so it doesn't help you to have a guy like Juwan in the post. It's much better to have the Veron who commands a presence. You you can drop off. You, you can try to crowd him and he can fight through it better than Juwan can. Yep. I agree with you at this point. We need players that we can trust at the beginning of games. And, you know, there aren't many players that have been better and more consistent than Duran the last three games. And I think he's a guy his teammates trust. And on a team that doesn't seem to have a lot of trust in each other, 
they all do seem to trust Duran, and I think that's really important at the beginning and end of games, or beginning and end of halves, and then you just got to figure something out in the middle because he probably can only play 20 to 22 minutes a game. But we just we have to get off to better starts. There's no question about it. Um, all right, so moving away from the Hoosiers, let's uh, let's take a look at the Big Ten. We can start with power rankings. What does the top four look like this week? Well, uh, for those who've been with us from the very beginning, they know that uh, this is not a Big Ten season-only ranking. And so uh, Michigan stays at the top. They are in first place in the league, tied with Purdue. And it's certainly not a momentum ranking because momentum is overrated in this in this game. Uh, you know, as, as they used to say in baseball, I don't know if they still say this or not, uh, momentum is tomorrow's starting pitcher. Well, in the Big Ten, momentum is what your schedule looks like next. And so for Purdue, they've got great momentum, but now they've got to go to Maryland. If they win that one, then we know there's something going on. Um, so I, I would go with Michigan at first. Uh, Michigan State still second. Purdue strong third, but still those losses aren't going away. Uh, they're being buried under more and more victories. Uh, so they are a strong third, very close to Michigan State. Even uh, Michigan State responded well to the three-game losing streak. And then finally, I have Iowa, which uh, certainly did not perform. Again, <laughs> talk about not a performance ranking. They were bad on Sunday. They were bad for 38 minutes. And then they were miraculous for two. And sometimes that gets you a victory. Uh, you know, one comment I'd like to make about these power rankings is, is my surprise, my continued surprise at the early release of the NCAA seed list to put Michigan in the sixth spot behind four number one seeds, obviously Duke, Tennessee, Virginia, Gonzaga, but then also Kentucky. I don't understand what's at work there. And you are the current leader of the best league in the country. You have won at Villanova by 30. Uh, Villanova still the leader in the Big East. You have you beat badly, or decisively at least, uh, one of the top three teams in the ACC in Carolina. You've, you're leading your league with, victory, with a victory over Purdue, victory over Wisconsin. Uh, so you've got that, all of that going for you. And you're behind Kentucky, which, although I have great respect for Kentucky and what they're doing, um, lost by 35 to the number one overall seed, and then lost to two teams that are borderline in or out of the field, uh, Seton Hall and Alabama. So I don't understand that. Uh, I, I, don't, I, I was really surprised at the lack of respect shown to the Big Ten there. They certainly made up for it in the other areas with the teams that they did put in the first four quadrants. But I was really surprised by that. I mean, I don't know whether Michigan's going to end up in that spot or not because their, their schedule down the stretch is brutal. Uh, two Michigans, excuse me, two Michigan states, two Maryland's. Uh, so if they are able to get through that, um, you know, say three and one, uh, it'll be hard for them not to get a one seed. But you have to look at it and say that even if they did that, that there's no guarantee that they would. Maybe Kentucky being ahead of them is an early sign that there will be more recency bias in the bracketing than what than what the committee yes, says that there point. is because they've won they've won ten in a row you know so maybe that's maybe that's part of it. They're terrific. But, They're terrific. But you, the, you have to, you know you ha you say the resume is what the resume is, and I don't know how you look at it that way. I I, I mean they're not you know they're not at this point first in their conference. They're not you know they they have worse losses. 
they have they have a you know they they both have the same best win. Michigan and and uh, and Kentucky have both beaten Carolina. At, uh, Kentucky's was on a neutral floor. Michigan's was at home. But then I think that uh, Villanova probably qualifies as you know a better you know a better into the field win than anybody that Kentucky has. So I, I'm surprised by it. And and honestly, I guess we've come to the point now where uh, these bracket reveals aren't making quite the impact that maybe the NCAA thought they would because I didn't hear a lot of squawking about it. And I was, I was surprised by that. Yeah. So what individual, what team performances stood out outside of Jordan Bohannon's ridiculous shooting? Uh, yes. People are probably going to turn this off just because the fact that I mentioned it again, but yes. it was ridiculous. <laughs> we had we had some very interesting uh, synergy yesterday on BTN. We had Jordan Bohannon featured on the Journey, and we ran him in the pregame show, and then he goes out and does that. And we also had discussed in our meeting for Big Ten Basketball and Beyond doing a segment on what we called the Commissioner segment. If you could declare a new rule in college basketball, what would you do? And Stephen Bardo said, I would eliminate all reviews altogether. And I totally agree with him on that. Hmm. But I've, my, my position was that if you're going to have reviews, then we should at least not allow the teams to congregate around their coaches and have plays to, uh, drawn up in those circumstances, unless they want to call timeout. Because it, so in this case, Iowa had zero timeouts and got a free timeout because of a uh, a timing review. And so Fran was able to drop a beautiful play. There was there were like seven different actions going on. And one of the actions going to the rim, Tyler Cook going to the rim, caught Gaines off guard for a second. He stayed with that until he was sure that Derek Pardon was on it. And that opened Jordan Bohannon to get the inbounds pass. And Gaines did a great job getting out there and challenging the shot. But... If they had just a scramble and just throw the ball in bounds and see what they could make happen, I mean, I'm not saying J-Bo wouldn't have got it in there anyway, but it makes a difference. So we had actually discussed that ahead of time, and there it was. So it was an interesting day at BTN. Can I I play devil's advocate on that for a second? Because that's interesting. But since both teams get to huddle with their coaches, why is that? Why is that a bad thing? Since at least then after the review, you should theoretically get more organized play or, or better play well because again the team that is the team that needs to draw up a play to get to what they want to get to if they have a timeout they have every right to call that timeout and draw that play up but if they don't have a timeout then they get an extra bonus timeout now they ran themselves out of timeouts nobody stole them yeah. they call them and they get to the end and they don't have any and so in this circumstance, and I saw this happen in an NCAA tournament game in 2013 between Marquette and Davidson, and I wrote about it at the time, and I tweeted that column earlier today, that Davidson specifically chose not to call timeout to inbounds the ball. In the, they, were up, they were up three or, or two with seven seconds left. They chose not to timeout, call timeout because they didn't want to give Marquette the opportunity to draw up something for themselves, you know, a way to do things, whether, whatever it was. And so then Davidson throws ball out of bounds. They go to check the clock, and boom, Marquette gets time to draw up a play. So yesterday, Fran did a great job. Like I said, it was a beautiful play, beautiful set, lots of different options, lots of different actions that caused, you know, that, that caused problems. 
And they would not have had the opportunity to do that because they ran themselves out of timeouts. So they would have had, the players would have had to just say, uh, okay, uh, let, we're going to, we're going to run 20 cross or whatever. They would have had to make that decision on their own mm. or that, you know, they would have had to just, you know, inbound the ball and take their shot. I mean, we've we've all seen what a team does in a lot of circumstances. If they give up a bucket late and there's two seconds left on the clock, how many times they just say, here, take it, throw it. You know, I mean, that's yeah. what you do a lot of times. It would put a lot more pressure on the internal leadership of the team to kind of, you know, rally the guys together, and it'd be it'd be interesting. I think I agree with you on that. Um, so what, here's what's going to happen now. Yeah. I'm going to get a call from Fran McCaffrey, and he's going to say, "How do you know we have a play called 22 Cross?" <laughs> when when Fran calls, like on the phone, is he like calm and measured, or is he screaming and angry? And you can see the red yeah. face through the phone. He's great. He's a wonderful <laughs> guy. I've known him for. 30 some years. I did a piece on him back when I was working at the Pittsburgh press and they were basically the number 64 team in the NCAA tournament. He was coaching at Lehigh. He was 28 years old. I was a year younger than him. He was 28 years old and they were playing, they were playing temple, the number one overall team. They didn't designate it, but we all knew. Um, and so we did a piece about number 64 and he let me come up and spend uh, two, three days with them in, in preparation for their game against temple. And we've known each other ever since. It's been fun to follow his career. He is intense on the sidelines. There's no question about that. He's his reputation, you know, is is real. Uh, and but he does a great job. He he really is a terrific basketball mind. So, so let me ask you a question about him. Since I mean, you probably have some insight into his philosophy. Why are they not better defensively? Like, is this a thing where he has chosen to emphasize offense and recruit to that? Is it a personnel thing with them defensively? You know, and then obviously we've seen it in Indiana where, you know, we we had a coach that was, you know, emphasized offense more than defense. And now we have one that goes the other way, because if I remember correctly, France first couple of years at Iowa, weren't they really good on defense? Yeah, I think it's more a personnel thing. I yeah. mean, when your point guard is is Jordan Bohan and he's not long, um, he's not tall. Uh, so he's you know, he's a he's a shooter first. That's his you know, that's what makes him great. Uh, so. Yeah, that's, you know, that's sort of who you are from a standpoint of physicality and front. And so when your point guard is not tremendous against the basketball, you're starting off from a, you know, a defensive deficiency to begin with. I think that they base their team on who they get. And the best coaches are able to do that because you never know exactly who your players are going to be. And so you have to be able to go all the way up and down the scale. I mean, when when um, when Michigan had earlier teams, uh, they weren't when, when they had Trey Burke. They weren't great defensively. They were mediocre. They tr they worked hard to be mediocre, uh, to be you know forty, fifty, sixty, whatever in, in defensive efficiency. They worked really hard to do that because they had a small, uh, not long point guard who wasn't able to suppress action by the ball, and so as a result, they were. Uh, they they were not great defensively, but because John's always been a brilliant offensive mind, uh, they were able to be, you know, a plus offensively. Now, you know, now they have the best on ball defender in college basketball in uh, Xavier Simpson, and so they and and they also you know he made a conscious effort first with uh, Billy um, to bring in him, and then Luke Yoklich. Uh, and now they, you know, they've got a team that is effective at both ends. And Charles Matthews as well, another really good defender. So let me ask you this question. 
you know, whenever new coaches come in at the same time, they're often compared to each other, especially the first few years. And you'll get a lot of that, obviously, with Indiana and Ohio State because Holtman was, you know, coaching here in Indiana for a while. So, and a lot of people have talked since last year about Archie versus Holtman. And Underwood's been a bit of an afterthought simply because Illinois has struggled so much, although they're having quite the resurgence now. If you had to bet or pick which of those three would win a Big Ten title first, who do you, who do you have the most confidence in? Well, I think you have to base it at this point on, you know, on the state of the program and, 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 and the, what we know about the future rosters. Uh, and so I, I think they're all trending up because, I mean, you look at Indiana's recruiting class with Trace. I, I really like him. I think he's, you know, he gives, he's going to give them an instant physical presence. He's really skilled with the ball, a tremendous passer. I think he'll get a lot of rebounds. So you've got a you've got a plus there. Uh, Illinois is going to bring back a lot of these guys, and a lot of them for a while. I mean, Georgie's only a freshman. I don't know how long Io will be there. I know that uh, there's conversation about him going this year. I I know enough about the game to know that Io Desumu will be best served long term. He's he's a excellent prospect but he's not a ready prospect and i just i, I tweeted on friday night um uh, about uh henry ellenson from marquette who oh you're gonna go first round and he did and now he's gone i mean he's uh about uh, if it hasn't happened yet they, i know i believe it has happened now because the the pistons wanted to sign uh wayne ellington they needed a roster spot and so it looks like he, Henry Ellenson is out of the league now. And, you know, it's funny because people who came back at me were all saying, well, yeah, but, you know, he got picked and he got this money and Ivan Rabb came back same year and he got, he fell in the second round. And I'm like, yeah, which one's still in the league and scored 16 and grabbed nine rebounds the other night. So I, I hope IO stays. And then if he does, I think that Illinois has a chance to move significantly forward next year, but I don't think I always, even if I'm right and, or I listens to me, he's not staying three years. So I don't think Illinois is going to quite get there. The team that's best positioned based on their current roster and future recruits is Ohio state. If Caleb Wesson doesn't get in a hurry, Caleb Wesson uh, gives them, you know, a real strong foundation. He, if he returns next year, will be one of the three, four best players in the league. He'll be next year's Ethan Happ, so to speak. And then they're bringing in a great group of recruits, and they've got good young players uh, already in the program. Uh, Dwayne Washington, for instance, uh, Luther Muhammad. So I think they're the best positioned. But, of course, that's in terms of stability and all that. If you get the right dynamic player uh, and he mixes with what you have and what you have is sufficient, then you can pass them. But uh, I think right now the, the answer is Ohio State. Got Who is going to take the mantle from Ethan Happ next year as the Big Ten's latest? God, he's still there, guy. Who, <laughs> who, who's best positioned to be that guy right now? I guess it would have to be a junior who's going to be a senior. You're like, man, that guy's still there playing. Someone who played a lot as a freshman. You know, maybe Jordan Poole, if only because, you know, he'll only be a junior. But, um, you know, Jordan made himself famous with that shot, and then he'll be yeah. there this year. Uh, and so then next year, he, Jordan Poole should be a, a star. Uh, I think he's really close to that now. And I kind of thought at times he would break through to that, but hasn't quite gotten there yet. Yeah. 
All right. Well, Indiana doesn't play again until Saturday against Minnesota in the barn. Um, maybe a few quick thoughts on that game and then what games Indiana fans should be watching this week since we'll have some extra time on our hands. Well, first of all, I mean, the, the, the value of Indiana's circumstance is that they've got wins that are still enormous. So even though they have taken on, you know, a lot of losses and, and, and they still have a lot of season left relative to you know the opportunity to build themselves back into tournament contenders and they, they those nine losses are, are not going anywhere uh, that they've had in the last 10 games but I mean Oklahoma a year ago I don't know what their losing streak got to but it was long and I was there yeah I was there in Pittsburgh when they opened the NCAA tournament in an eight nine game so it's doable but obviously the Hoosiers have to play with more confidence and more desperation than they have. And they're going to play against a team that is in somewhat similar circumstances. Maybe it looks a little better for Minnesota in terms of their overall record, but they don't have the quality behind it that Indiana does. So they know they need wins. And even though their win against Indiana would probably diminish Indiana to the point where it might not be as big a win for them as it would otherwise, it's still in, in there. It's not, it's too early for it to be an elimination game. Either one could survive it and come back, but it, it's certainly one of those games that, you know, if you lose it, you fall a lap back. And if yeah. you win, you know, you get to keep running. Yeah. What else? What are the big games on tap during the week? Well, Tuesday is an enormous day, starting with that game that I mentioned before hmm. uh, between Maryland and Purdue. It, 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 it's easy to say, and we talked about this last night on Beyond, it, it's easy to say, uh, that if you win this game in your Purdue, well, look at the rest of the schedule. There's no more Michigans. There's no more Michigan States. There's no more Maryland's. You know, so there's not as a ton left for them. But we learned last night again, you know, you can't take any nights and say, okay, we got this. We got this. We got this. I mean, and Purdue itself, I mean, um, in, the, in some of their more recent home games, the Minnesota game, they were down double digits. Uh, they did not play well. Uh, so I, I think that they're still in reach for some of those teams. Uh, so that it's not it's not over if Purdue wins. But I think that everyone who's a Purdue fan is going to take a deep breath and say, OK, now from here, it's downhill. That doesn't mean you can't crash, but it's downhill. Uh, and then, of course, Michigan. You, State you think Purdue with, fans are really do that? I feel like Purdue fans are always expecting the uh, the train to go off the tracks right around the corner oh, at some yeah. point. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not as I'm not as uh, I'm not as with that psychology of the Purdue fan. I you know I, I I I do think that I think that because they haven't made a Final Four since '80, I guess. Yeah. Uh, that maybe they think it in that sense, but you know, winning Big Ten titles is what they do. So yeah, I'm not that's sure true. That they would, you know, I'm not sure that they would look at it like that, but that's true. It, that, that doesn't happen until March. That is true. Right. Right. And then, uh, same night, Michigan state goes to Wisconsin and you wow. know, the, the Purdue game, the, the Purdue Maryland game is on BTN excited about that. And then Michigan state goes to Wisconsin and, and Michigan state needs that to stay in the race. If they lose that, um, I don't think they can win the big 10. I, I it's not impossible because you sweep Michigan and all that. Uh, but again, Purdue has that advantage. So you need to, you need that to stay in the race. You put yourself in that circumstance with the Illinois loss. So you need that. And of course, Wisconsin, they're not out of it either. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, and that would be a huge win for Wisconsin to maybe continue climbing that, uh, 
fake seed board we saw on Saturday. <laughs> well, Mike, thank you very much for being here and for lending your insight and for being flexible on the schedule today. I uh, appreciate it, and we look forward to doing this again next week. And I didn't talk too loud and wake anybody up, did I? No, no. although she is stirring right now, so our timing, <laughs> our timing was impeccable. <laughs> All right, Jared. Thank yep. you. Thank you, Mike. Really appreciate it. All righty. Well, that is going to do it for this week's edition of Banner Monday. Let me get some outro music here. As my daughter just, uh, she was stirring and then she just laid back down. So I might have some bonus time to actually get this podcast posted. Uh, anyway, thank you everybody for being here. If you want to follow us on YouTube, youtube.com slash assemblycall is the place to do it. Make sure you go to assemblycall.com and get on our email newsletter. Text IU to 66866 to join. Uh, and we'll be back. We'll have Basketball 201 tomorrow afternoon, uh, Thursday night, Assembly Call Radio, and then Saturday, the IU Minnesota postgame show. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of the Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the assembly call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating. And so many of you have donated and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, Another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show, we appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Sticky notes. Email alerts. A string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Whew. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.